So when we are given a big job, we either will rise to the occasion or we'll find a way out. Clinical psychologist Alan Wagner says the difference in rising to the equation or quitting comes in the confidence and a manifestation of the outcome. He says if you have confidence and have an idea of the outcome, instead of listening to your inner negative thoughts, you are more likely to rise to the occasion. And as followers of Jesus, like the scripture said, we have been given an enormous job, that of a priest. We've been called into a royal priesthood. And that's hard for some of us to wrestle with. A lot because we've been listening to, like he said, these negative voices in our head or coming from the outside saying, you're not good enough, you're not holy enough, you can't do it. But if we actually were to look forward and look ahead like he suggests, knowing that we are the children of the Most High God, and that this God gives us privileges and responsibilities and power, I think we would see this job with more confidence and more passion. I'm going to show you a little clip from a movie uh, called The Jerk. It's very old. Um, and to give you a little, like, preface of it, um, there used to be these things called house phones and pay phones. And the way that you would call people and find out their phone numbers is that you would find a phone book and you'd look up in the phone book their number. Um, so that's what's about to happen. Um, but, but what I want you to watch for is I want, what I want to stir inside of you is how excited he gets and that is the reaction I want us to elicit when I tell you that you are a kingdom of royal priests. The new phone book's here! The new phone book's here! Well, I wish I could get that excited about but Nothing! Are you kidding? Page 73! Johnson, Maven, R. I'm somebody now. Millions of people look at this book every day. This is the kind of spontaneous publicity, your name in print, that makes people. I'm in print. Things are going to start happening to me now. Thank you. Thank you. So we are a royal priesthood. You are called to be a royal priest. Can you get as jazzed about that as he is? Can you look and stare at the camera of life and say, things are about to happen to me now. I'm somebody. But I'm guessing that you don't get that jazzed. And I'm, I'm guessing it comes maybe from some of those negative self-thoughts. Maybe it comes because you're like, I don't, I don't know that I was invited into this job. 
Maybe it comes out of a fear of what that role looks like, a fear of the responsibility it comes with. So as opposed to stepping into this royal priesthood, we look any and everywhere for things that will give us value, privilege, and responsibility. But what I want you to know tonight is that the bigger story is that God has offered you a job that is better and bigger and harder and more important than any other job you are looking for. That is a royal priest. In William Barclay's commentary on 1 Peter, he says, man's greatness doesn't lie in himself, but what he has been given to do. The Christian's greatness lies in the fact that God has chosen him to be his man and do his work in the world. We can't be ordinary because we are men of God. You are not ordinary. You've become and invited into a royal priesthood. You are men and women of God. In the scripture we read tonight, you can put those up on the screen. We hear in Exodus this call from God saying, you will become this royal priesthood if you follow my commands. And then we read in 1 Peter that we're now this. We are now this royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are a royal priest. Hear that as if you're looking at a phone book and there's your name. You are a royal priest. Life is about to change. But what does a priest do? So where we are at um, in our sermon series journey as we've been going through the narrative of scripture and talking about the better story that God gives us in this narrative than the stories we tell ourselves. So last week Jason talked about God giving his people all the instructions for the tabernacle, this place that God would dwell. And now the narrative kind of takes a standstill, and we begin to learn about all of these laws and all of these rules given to the priests. So first, to become a priest, you had to be chosen. You had to be from the tribe of Levi, so we get this book of Leviticus. You had to be consecrated. You had to offer up tons of sacrifices. You had to anoint your head and your thumbs and your toes with blood. You had to wear a certain outfit. The priest would always have this golden tab on their head saying, holy for the Lord, set apart for the Lord. And once they went through all of this consecration, they could then begin to do their jobs. And it would look like taking care of the tabernacle, like I said, the place that God would dwell. 
offering up sacrifices for his people, teaching the law to the people. He was there to bring people to God and God to the people. They had special access to God. Some of them, once a year, well, one of them, would get to go into the Holy of Holies, actually into this place where God would dwell. He had access in a way that nobody else did to the presence of God. And so they had to be, not only do all of these jobs, they had to be really obedient because people would look at them and see God represented in the way that they were acting. So if they disobeyed, big repercussions were to happen. Ultimately, this group of people were people of God's own possession with special access to him, set up there between God and his people, there to bring the people to God and God to the people. And when we're told that we are royal priests, that's what we are stepping into and becoming as well. And when we take on this role of a priest, what we begin to find is, is some value communicated. We see privilege and we see responsibility. And when we step into becoming a priest, we, we do see, and God communicates to us, our value. Argent Staffing Solutions did um, an article talking about the importance of job titles. And they found that 70% of people would rather take a job title promotion than a raise in salary, which seems a little crazy, but then you think about it and you think, okay, well, what does a job title actually offer? Well, for people looking from the outside in, your job title tells the other what that company values in you. It tells them what they entrust you to do. It tells the employees the responsibilities that they have, what they're worth in the company, gives them a place of growth. It's why when you hear somebody's a CEO of a company, you're like, well, they're very valuable to this organization. It's also why Jason and I had tried to change the name of our full-time interns because we're like, they are far more valuable than the title intern. This article also says that our job titles have the ability to produce in us mental exhaustion as well as identity. Victor Frankl, if he, some of you guys I know have had to study him in philosophy and all that, but he was um, a neuroscientist and um, a psychologist back in the day of the Holocaust. And he wrote this book called The Meaning of Man, and he came up with three things that he said, this is what gives people meaning. And one of those, one of the ways we find meaning is by doing a job or a task. And so it's really interesting in God's kindness, he says, I know that doing a job or a task and having this title 
is actually going to help you believe in the value that you offer to the world and the value that I see in you. The Old Testament, the priests, it wasn't just that they would offer up sacrifices, like their life was a sacrifice, their whole world was being a priest. That was who they were. And when we step into that role and we find that value, we recognize we are God's, we are God's position, and that is what our value is. And we're learning that as we step into this job. Because this job, what God is saying, is you are between me and my people, and my people are my biggest, most valuable possessions. So I'm entrusting you with my most valuable possessions. And that should communicate value in itself for you. He has the ability to take ordinary things give them value. It's as if you had a cowboy hat that was worth 30 bucks, and Dolly Parton puts it on her head, and then sells it on eBay for thousands of dollars. She imparts value to that hat. We do that with dates. September 29th had no significance to me until seven years ago when I was married on that day, and now it has huge significance. God is imparting value and significance to us, and he's trying to share that with us as we step into these titles. And the truth is, the title of a royal priesthood is way bigger than you are. It's way bigger than we are. But God knows that. Jesus, when he came to earth, started his ministry, he chose disciples, and he called this guy Simon to follow him. And at the beginning of their time together, he said, Simon, I'm changing your name. I'm going to call you Peter. So it's the guy that wrote the scripture we're talking about tonight. And Peter means rock. He said, you are the rock in which I will build my church. And he gives him this title before Peter steps into that. In fact, after he's given this, Jesus refers to Peter and calls him one of little faith. He calls him Satan. He rebukes him for cutting off a man's ear, for not having patience. Peter falls asleep on Jesus. He moves his eyes off of him. He denies Jesus as he is dying all while having this title given by God. But there's not some commentary that Jesus writes later being like, man, I wish I wouldn't have given him that role. Oh, I should have given it to him later. Peter was walking with Jesus in all of this too, day in and day out. Jesus knew what he was doing by calling him to something bigger even before he was able to do that. If any of you guys have learned how to fly a plane, you know that when you're landing, if you're trying to land here and you aim here, your plane's going to land down here because of the crosswinds. But if you're wanting to land here and you aim up here, 
the plane's going to land where you wanted it to go because of those same crosswinds. So when we aim and we dream and we go for those impossible things, we figure out what we're actually capable of and we end up where we're supposed to be. God is not offering you this big task because he doesn't think you can get there. He knows what he's doing. So what do we do with this? Do we quit on these big responsibilities we've been given? Do we see ourselves as too little for them or this job is too big? I can never be a priest. Or do we see God as bigger than all of it and calling us into it and saying, I believe in you, come on. I want you to see the value I've given to you, come with me. And so we step into it trusting in him. Then, if we want to start becoming something, if we want to be becoming this priest, we've got to start. And that means starting not knowing what we're doing. That doesn't mean just starting one time not knowing what we're doing. That's every season, every new step not knowing what we're doing, which means as you step into becoming a royal priest, there's going to be a lot of failure. There's going to be a lot of screw-up. There's going to be a lot of disappointing others in yourself. It's not going to look perfect at all. But don't let your shortcomings be the thing that keeps you from stepping into that role. Don't let these things that you say, well, I'm not going to be able to do it right, keep you from moving forward because where else do we say we need to have it all figured out when we start something? Our education system says you go to kindergarten and then you go to first grade and then you continue on. We don't expect a junior higher to have PhD level knowledge. You start drinking milk, then you move to solid food, you start crawling, and then you walk. Why do we think with our faith we have to have every part of it figured out before we actually can move into that? Why are we not okay with becoming a kingdom of priests? He's given you value and significance Why are you not receiving it? And then the next thing we do as priests, as he has given us value, is we communicate that as people that communicate what God is telling to the world. We aim high for others. We are idealists for them, letting them know that they are capable of doing far more than they could think. And then we fight against the lies they've been told or the actions that they have been, that have been done against them where they've been told they have little value. So we are people that offer value to the valueless or those who don't believe it. And that can be as simple as being like, hey, can I get your opinion on this? And trusting somebody 
with something that you value, sharing with them that they are valuable too. And step by step as we value others, they will build evidence to believe that they actually have value as well. And then, maybe they have the courage to step into this role that they've been called to, that of a royal priest. And we see this title as motivation. Motivation that the God of the universe believes in us, that we can step into this role, says, come on, let's do this. And that we know that it's going to take a lot of effort, like all of the effort. Because it's not just about enjoying the privilege, but there is responsibility that comes with this title as well. Because if we just were to sit in the privilege and not take on the responsibility, we would just be people that are entitled. The Old Testament priests were given a ton of privileges. Like I said, they were able to go into the place that God dwelled. They had such close access to him, they were able to hear from him and communicate that to people. They were able to offer and intercede for other people. They also were told where the other tribes were told that they would inherit land and all this other stuff. They were told that their inheritance would be God himself. They had huge privileges. And us, as high priests, the high priests, royal priests, We have privileges as well. We have access to God that these priests in the Old Testament would not believe we could have because by the power of the Holy Spirit, God now tabernacles and dwells within each of us. And so we have access to God to communicate to him, to hear from him, to dwell with him. And then this Holy Spirit that dwells with us then offers us power. Power to actually do the responsibilities of the priest. Power to actually share the goodness of God and follow in his ways. And then we also have this privilege of God being our inheritance. And then we also have responsibility. The the high priests, like I said, had all of these responsibilities and people looked at them in a certain way. They had to remember every day that they were wholly set apart for the Lord. And all of the jobs that they were doing were serving other people. All of that responsibility was about others connecting them to God. And so if they did not do something, if they did not offer up the sacrifice that day, well, it would affect the people their sin would still be there. If they did not communicate the words of the Lord that day, the people would not know. The priest did not step into their responsibility. Other people would be affected. Our job as priests, likewise, is all about other people and serving others. And when we do not step into these roles, other people are actually affected. Victor Frankl's second meaning to mankind, the way we find meaning, is through something or someone. 
And he, he goes into this whole thing about how we need to take the perspective off of ourselves and move it towards others. And what's so interesting in this job that we've been given is it is about the other. It's about serving someone else. It's about offering value to someone else, significance to someone else. And if Viktor Frankl's right, God is so kind that even in this job, he's communicating to us our value as we are communicating that to others. When we take up the responsibility we've been given and not just sit in the privilege, we're able to actually serve God, and then he tells us how valuable we are to him. I've used this example a bit. Um, I don't know if I've used it up here, just in conversations. But imagine we are back um, in the time of Obama as president. And let's say you really want to ask him a question. It'd be pretty hard to be able to, like, have access to him, like to set up a meeting with him, to go into the Oval Office to ask him a question. Probably even now it'd be pretty hard to do. But you know who it wasn't hard for? His daughters. Malia Obama could go into the Oval Office and ask him questions about her homework, about her day at school. And that'd be totally normal. She had access to the president in a different way than anybody else would. She also had responsibility. She would have done something stupid. Everyone would have known. She would have gotten in big trouble. She had to go to certain ceremonies and parties and act and dress particular ways. With this privilege also came this responsibility. My friend Thomas recently was looking for like a new a new job shift and he was talking about he how he didn't want to take advantage of his mom's career to further his and this kid's a hard worker and I was like why not like you have access to a huge network step into that privilege and then Take in that responsibility, work hard, and show them that you're taking on the responsibilities of a job, not just taking advantage of this privilege. The question for you is, do you take advantage of the access that you have to God? The God that dwells here. Do you access it? Or are you like the story of the prodigal son and the older brother where the dad looks at you and says, you've been with me all along. Why do you not take advantage of this time that we've had together? Maybe you have an accident because you're scared of the responsibility that it brings. Maybe you've put in a little bit of effort and used that as your excuse to put in more. Maybe you're like, oh, I've accessed it, but other people are doing all the work around me, so I feel like I kind of, I kind of get it. 
why aren't you stepping into this privilege and responsibility that you've been given? Because he's chosen you. He's chosen you to be this royal priest, so don't disqualify yourself. Don't say somebody else could do it better. This is better for the world and for God if I don't. He has chosen you to be part of this. And yes, he has a whole priesthood. It's not just you by yourself. It's not just one priest. You are part of it, but you affect the rest of the body and the other people. Don't disqualify yourself stepping out of it. Because when you step into the work that you're being asked to do, what you will learn is you'll learn confidence because you will learn that you are becoming more and more like Jesus, becoming more and more these priests. And you will grow in confidence because you will experience the power of God at work. You will be confident in that. And you will grow in confidence because you will be accessing God himself. And you'll grow in confidence because like, I know God more and more and more. Because you see the training ground for where we're learning how to be these priests, it's not out of the job, it's in it. That's where we're learning, that's where we're messing up and failing, that's where we're growing. So if you've stepped out because you don't think you can do it, you can't handle it, you're not good enough, get back in the game, don't end the race early, stay in that job. High priest, royal priest. And maybe we don't see God's inheritance to us, access to him as compelling. We'd rather have the land inheritance. We'd rather have certainty. We'd rather have a spouse. But if him as your inheritance is compelling, step into this job. If him offering you value is compelling, step into this job. If him giving you privilege and a title and responsibility is compelling, step into this job. And know you are becoming a royal priesthood. And you won't have it figured out right away. It'll take failure and experiments and sanctification but he still calls you into this game and he's still dwelling with you in the midst of it. You don't have to have it all figured out or be perfect. You look at this aim he's given you. You fly. Okay, royal priesthood. And as you look, you begin to fix your eyes on Jesus and then what you see is that Jesus came before us as our high priest. And he's come before and he has shown us how to do these things. And he is standing next to God, interceding on our behalf. Hebrews 4 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time to help in the time of need. Ultimately, Jesus is our high priest. He intercedes for us. He gives us guidance because he's been there. He knows how big this job is. He gives us access to the throne room of God. And it is through him that we actually receive our value. He's kind. He gives us a title knowing that we'll learn more about our value in that. He gives us privilege and responsibility knowing that we will learn more about our value in that. And he calls us and says, I am inviting you to be the people of my own possession, my royal priesthood, to do my work in this world. You are holy to the Lord, set apart for the Lord. If you were to wear that on your head every day, how would that change your daily life? How would that change if you saw that title right there written before you? So now fix your eyes on Jesus, this high priest, and follow him into this family of priests. Because once again, it's not you. We are a family, a priesthood. And recognize, as you step into this role that he is trying to communicate to you, the value he has given to you. As we move into communion tonight, the interesting thing is that the third meaning of man that Viktor Frankl offers is our attitude towards suffering. So we look at Jesus and we see the way that he looks at suffering and what he does is he actually sees us. And he says, I'm actually going to buy these people back. I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to give them value through my sacrifice. That's where our value comes from. So as we look at communion, as we respond to God tonight, we remember that this is a gift to us to remember that he has died for us and he's saying, you are my people. I have now given you value and I want you to join me. I want you to do this work alongside of me because I love you. Here at the house, we take communion by intention. So you'll come down the middle aisle, you'll take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. And you'll go back to your seats and we'll continue and worship. But before we do that, I want, we're going to practice a minute of, of silence. And, and I want you to reflect, to respond. Maybe the response is, God, it feels too big. Maybe the response is, God, I need your power if I'm actually going to do this. Maybe your response is accessing the privilege you have 
and being able to draw near to God. So I'll close us in prayer after a minute. Father God, thank you for your son. Thank you that that your power was able to buy us back, to redeem us. Thank you for your death and resurrection. May we be brave and bold and say yes to this call that you've invited us into and that we would do so not by ourselves, but together. We are so grateful for this table and for you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a common loaf of bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on a like manner, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of my new covenant of my blood, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. If you desire to be part of God's family, part of this royal priesthood, if you want to respond to God, you are welcome at this table. I'm going to pray and ask the servers to come up front. Um, there's also gluten-free options up here as, as well. Um, but if the servers want to come up, and then I will invite the rest of you up. Father God, once again, we are grateful for this table. May we know more of who you are through this gift that you have given to us. Amen.